I got this. Hey everybody, welcome to Sequelitis. This is Matt. Welcome to Sequelitis. Yes, we finally have a good movie to talk about. It's been so long. Wait, who are you? I'm Matt. And I'm Manny. I could have sworn I said that, but if I didn't, I apologize. I'm Matt, and it's been a while since our last podcast. We had some issues with our other website. And well, and also, I moved to San Diego. Yeah. Matt still lives in Los Angeles. It is what it is. Yeah. Life. Life just happens. Life but we're back. Um, hopefully, you guys are listening to this either on YouTube or you found us because of an iTunes download or Stitcher. Yes. Wherever you found this, like we would appreciate if you let us know. Uh, Sequelitis Podcast at gmail.com. We felt like this was an important one to talk about because our last time that we talked about a, a movie like this was Logan. Because it was yes. an R-rated comic book movie. That was the last time one of these came out. And that was one of our biggest hit podcasts. We got a lot of downloads on that. Yeah. So that's another reason we wanted to come back. Is like this is something that there seems to be a big audience for. Well, and I feel like I feel like filmmakers are kind of discovering a trend of let's make a superhero movie, but let's not kind of follow the formula that was set forth by the MCU and then DC, Warner Brothers has, has tried to replicate this. Like, let's try to make like a gritty, like, um, auteur film and well, see where it goes. Like, Logan, like, look, Logan has a lot of schlock, but Logan is a story about a human being and the human struggle and like trying to do all these things and another movie like that that I feel was in the same vein was Deadpool and Deadpool, Deadpool yeah. was an unconventional superhero story yeah. and it's part of what's kept this whole genre from falling off a fucking cliff um, it's the reason why it's still relevant while it's still making a ton of fucking money yeah. and Joker has continued on that trend. Um, it's right. R-rated. You're ranting, but let me just say, if I may get a word in, that Joker... Here's my issue with Joker, I'll say. Okay. Is that while you know, you're talking about this this focused uh, like idea, we're going to go in, we're going to make this kind of movie, You know, that's not really the reality of how this movie got made. Todd Phillips, this is a script that he either developed or read or had developed or whatever that he had that he wanted to make at DC... And they said no. They said this doesn't make sense with our universe. You know, we've got Jared Leto. We've got all this other situation. This doesn't really make sense. He kept fighting. He kept fighting, and they finally made it for whatever reason. So, you know, all this idea that they wanted to go in and do this, like this was something that somebody else, like a real, you know, I don't want, I don't know if it's an auteur or whatever you want to say, but some ambitious person came in and forced them to kind of make, and that ambitious person was Todd Phillips. For better or worse. I'm going to say that the audience has voted at the box office. Absolutely. And has made their Absolutely. voice I'm not and their will heard. Yes, this movie yes. is a fantastic hit. It's a tremendous hit of of incredible proportion. Yes. I am not taking that away from this But movie. let me ask you. And I'm do not you talking think... down on that. Okay. That's so incredible. You don't think it's tragic that this movie is successful? That this movie tragic? has found an no. audience no, no, and has no, no, done no. well. Okay, no. good, good, good. Not tragic because at all. I think I think it's great that this yeah. movie is doing well. I, I'm glad it's doing well for multiple reasons. One, I like it if there's a movie to debate about whether you like it or you don't like it. When you're talking about it, you've seen it. That's exciting. DC hasn't even had that from me for the last few years. I didn't see Man of Steel at all. I only saw yeah. Batman versus Superman because Batman was in the title. 
I didn't see Suicide Squad. I totally uh, Aquaman. I totally clocked out of all those movies. I saw Wonder Woman. You know, I thought Wonder Woman. It seemed like, yeah, baby's first superhero to quote Red Letter Media. But it's like, you know, yeah, they made a superhero movie. Like they've done that before, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, look, I really, I really liked good. Wonder Woman, and I'll agree with you on that point. So, uh, full disclosure. Um, I watched Man of Steel in the theater. I tried to write an article on it. Um, to defend it or against it? No, because I I went in like expecting it to be as bad as it was, and it was worse than I expected. <laughs> Kevin Costner? Um, yeah, like there's there are so many issues with it, and <laughs> it was trying to ride on the coattails of what Christopher Nolan was right. doing with Batman. Right. And I was like, look, you can't do that with Superman. You have to yeah. either do a really campy take on Superman, or you have to do something so drastically different. I agree with you about Chris Nolan, though. It was Superman Begins. It yeah. was the like Batman Begins version of Superman. And and it, it, so it will shallow. never work with Superman because the thing is, is Superman is not someone the average person can relate to. Uh, Superman was written explicitly. Like his whole thing was, he was supposed to be the idealized version of a particular set of people and and let's let's just go all the way like it was written by um people that it was the ubermensch and it was a jewish character and there's nothing wrong with that at all but it's like when you have somebody that's so specific you're going to alienate a lot of your audience and like even his ability to levitate and fly that was an accidental creation for the character. And so when you have a narrative that comes out and basically ignores those aspects of it, it's just like, look, like you're deviating far enough from the character that you should almost start from scratch on it. Yeah. And they tried to be very revenant to um, the, the origins of the character, and it just got so muddled that I don't think that it worked. So Superman... In, um, in Man of Steel, you're saying? No, no. I'm, I'm, yeah, Man of Steel, like, it got so muddled that yeah. it didn't work. I think so Man that didn't Steel... work, and then when you tried to build off of that and have Batman v Superman, and you had to introduce a new Batman character, after a really great Batman character, and, and Bruce Wayne had been introduced with Christian Bale, it's like, you're asking so much of your audience. There's such a low chance that that's actually going to pay off. And then on top of that, like, um, if you're going to cast, um, what's his name? Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, uh, as, as uh, <laughs> was he Which, play Lex Luthor? It was, yeah, uh, Jesse he's a, Eisenberg. Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg is such oh, a fantastic man. actor. And to not sit there and use the template of the character that he played for Mark the social Zuckerberg. network. Yeah. yeah. That was a good role. That you don't that. use that for Lex Luthor, that was a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Like, you could have built a great franchise off the fact that you have Jesse Eisenberg playing Mark Zuckerberg as fucking Lex Luthor. But that makes so much sense, right? That, well, you have the current age, and they fucking missed on that opportunity. Well, I mean, that's playing Monday, uh, Monday quarterback or whatever. That's like saying, you know, yeah. had they done yeah, this, yeah, this yeah. would have worked. You know, who knows, you know, but. Let's talk about this movie. But Joker. still, like you're you're talking about people that are paid millions of dollars to make these decisions yeah. and to be creative and to see things before the audience can see them, and it's just like, 
how are you behind but, the audience? I mean, the fact that the movie didn't work, it was amalgamation of the plot, of the casting of Batman, how Batman behaved, how Superman yeah. behaved, it was the, the world, you know, I think it goes back to the fact that DC books seemed like they were more genre-based, you know, if it's a Batman, it's that genre of, like, a detective, if it's Superman, it's this light-hearted Well, and not just that, but, but outdated, like, what they're presenting to the audience seems so outdated, because... Like, people aren't as interested in watching someone go through and slow burn, uncover a mystery. Like, people more want to have, like, plot twists and revelations. Yeah. Like, like you can blame M. Night Shyamalan for this. Like, yeah. he's he's pushed people to be like, you want to watch a character go through things and then suddenly realize, like, the world that they understand is completely different than yeah. what was introduced you know, to us. You know, here's an idea for DC. This is for free, okay? Make make Batman and Superman a period piece. I'm being serious here. Take it to the 1940s. Have it be a period piece. You know, have those have Batman be real gothic New York with the really like gothic sort of style. All the like 50s cars, mm -hmm. the 60s cars, the 40s cars that look yeah. so good in the background. That's what they fill Tim Burton's Batman with. That's what the Batman animated series with. Like, it's always brimming with this like nostalgia for the 40s. Like. Take it back, make it a period piece, and do the whole thing like in the 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah. That's my pitch to DC. You had that one for free. Yeah, but the reason why they won't do that, and I, I, I know you get this, is that they're worried that the audience won't follow them. They're worried that the audience won't buy into that. But the audience isn't buying their stuff right now, and they need to make a major change. Well, no, Joker, Joker did very well. Like, that like was a Joker major change. Joker is a hit, hit with film. The, with the major yeah. change. and it was set in the early 80s. But also, like, here's the thing, and I will, I will just, like, flat out throw this out at the beginning. Yeah. Is I, this is a film that did not need to be a Batman film. This is yeah. a film that could have been about a character struggling with mental illness, struggling with an extreme capitalistic world that cast him out because he's not an A-type personality, yeah. and the way that he responds to that entire. Um, you know, that callousness from his environment. Yeah. But no one would have fucking seen that movie. That's not a movie that makes $700 million. Yeah. That is a movie that fucking makes maybe one and a half million dollars total. I mean, and whereas... It, and because Joaquin's, Joaquin Phoenix's performance in this movie makes the fucking movie. Well, I will say, you know, I'm, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm not a Joaquin Phoenix fan. There's a couple actors that... Just rubbed me the wrong way. He's one of those dudes that, you know, every movie he's in, I was like, oh, here's Joaquin Phoenix again. <laughs> I used to, when I was really young, I used to say, like, oh, it's a really talented actor's brother. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, okay, let's go back to um, Gladiator. Did you like Gladiator? No. Okay, why not? Thumbs down. Was it because of Joaquin Phoenix? Yes. Why don't you like a, Joaquin Phoenix? He's such a ridiculous clown in the movie. Mm. And he's like... Strong he, disagree! He's running around, acting like an asshole, Mr. Weird acting guy. Okay, cool, you act so weird. Okay. I don't know. I don't like it. You okay, know, so it's then... A transparent um, performance. So then, uh, jump to a movie like Her. Did you watch Her? I saw it. Okay. Did you like that movie? I liked everything except Joaquin Phoenix. Wow. He wow. was okay. the worst. 
Full disclosure, I fucking love Spike Jones. Me too. Um, I love Joaquin Phoenix. No. And even even um, Scarlett Johansson, I love her. She's beautiful. She's talented. Like yeah, she's um, great. Yeah, if you if you've never seen Under the Skin, dude, that's like that's a better film than Joker. Like, go watch that film. That's are there any an but incredible film? Are there it's any actors that you like don't like? If you see them in a the movie, you're just like, oh fuck this actor or fuck this director. Are there any guys that you just have like a pet peeve against? Yes. Yeah. What's, what's one name? One. Catherine Heigl. Um, Catherine Heigl. I yeah. think that's an easy target because she um, makes movies that you don't want to see. Who's the, who's the daughter of uh, um, two females? Who's sexist here? No. <laughs> two females in a row. Well, I mean, I, I don't I don't exactly like the guy who's married to um, uh, the 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 Transformers guy who's married to uh, oh Black Eyed Peas woman. Back to Josh Hamill. I don't like him. I don't think he's Black very good at all. Yeah. Um, he's not good. I, I didn't think it was that tragic that um, <laughs> what's his face from Fast and Furious. Paul Walker. Paul yeah, Walker. He is the worst. Not a good actor. He's the worst. Such a hack. He oh, was okay. fucking awful. Brad Pitt, like, there's certain roles Brad Pitt is brilliant in. Um, What's but, a bad one? Go ahead. But, like, Heath Ledger was such a better actor than Brad Pitt. Like, Brad Pitt's an okay Heath actor Ledger, yeah. that like can it. be coaxed into a good performance. I think Nick Cage is a better actor than Brad Pitt, like, in my oh, personal well, opinion. Well, that's interesting. I, I'm not going to argue that because I love, I just watched Leaving Kate Hudson. Vegas. Kate Hudson Another is female. Not Are you guys keeping track? Back no, that's who I was talking about. How many females in a row? But, but like, okay, <laughs> to be fair, so Kate Hudson has that connection to Kurt Russell and... Kurt Russell and... Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. Mm-hmm. But... Who you hate because fucking, she's a uh, Kurt Russell's son... What's his name? No. Little Russell. Little Russell. No. <laughs> Uh, Wyatt. I'll tell you something. Wyatt about. Russell. Okay, if you want to watch something that 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 is For not me, only a great hold on, Nick hold on. Stahl, not only a great story, but actor. a fucking incredible performance. Go and watch Black Mirror. Um, I want to say it's season four, the episode with Wyatt Russell. Fucking amazing right. performance. Nick Stahl. Great story. What do you think about Nick Stahl? He's to me, he's one of the worst actors ever. Uh, he's he's okay in the third. He's the best part of the third Terminator film. Ugh. Seen it recently? Yeah. Disagree. He's the worst. Seen it with the past couple of months. And he has performance when he's like very young and he's good in that. Didn't but see still, that. like Didn't Joaquin Phoenix fucking blows everybody that we've talked about he does so far blow. out of the water. He does. <laughs> All right. All right. You want to be in the podcast? No, <laughs> no. It's just uh, hold on. We, we have an. We're gonna have the peanut here. gallery in this. We got a, we got a peanut gallery. If, All right. If the peanut gallery has anything to say, then come around here. But All right. Anyway, so, so so right off, like you, you understand that the way. thesis of this podcast is the fact that we don't agree on this. And this is my bias. I think is that Joaquin I don't like Phoenix Joaquin is Phoenix. I think Joaquin Phoenix is brilliant. Matt does not agree. I think this movie is great because of Joaquin Phoenix Phoenix's performance, and Matt thinks it's just a big pile of doo doo. I think his performance is forced at best. And I think at worst it's just like it's it's so disconnected with any kind of idea of a plot. You know, I really hate And obviously it. you're entitled to your opinion, Thank of course. You. And we respect that. Okay. Opinions are like us. <laughs> Everybody's got one. That's right. Okay. And I'm about to show but you mine. You saw you saw Suicide Squad, right? I didn't see it. Oh my, okay. Here's the thing. Okay, 
So much of what you're saying, you would throw out the fucking window if you watch Suicide Squad. Jared Leto was... He is an actor who won an Oscar for his performance in Dallas Buyers Club. If you've not seen Dallas Buyers Club, go watch it. Seen if it. you if you have if you have access to the HBO streaming app, it, it's Dallas Buyers Club is a great yeah, movie. It's on Netflix too. It's really good. Um, it does not have anything to do with the fact that I grew up in Dallas. Like no, um, you know that was before my time. I was a fucking little kid when all that shit was happening. His performance in that movie is fucking incredible. Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's performance in that movie is incredible. Yeah, Jared Leto almost outacts yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Um, but then when you watch this movie, when you watch uh, when, when, when you watch Suicide Squad, when you watch uh, Blade Runner 2049, Jared Leto is like the f- the worst parts of those movies. Yes. He's so Fight Club. He's bad. the worst actor in no, Fight no, no, Club. No, no, no. He's not. He's really good in Fight Club. He he plays his role perfectly. He he's okay in that in those movies. Um You like him in Requiem I for never, a Dream? He's good in that. I never watched him in the Mark David Chapman movie, no, the one where nobody. he kills Chapter John Landon. Yes. Nobody uh, but that. I hear it's a great performance. But um, he's so bad as the Joker. And yeah. they cut his role down because he's so fucking bad. Yeah. And he's so egotistical yeah. that he thinks what he's doing is a great performance. It's and not, and yeah. plenty of it's people sad. have heard the stories about how he would send live rats to Margot Robbie. He would send anthrax to his castmates. You know, all this other shit. And it's just like... That's not what makes a good performance. No. That's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. And, I, I know and I'm not, glad that they did not make a Joker movie with him. With him as the lead, it would okay. suck. That's that's interesting baggage to put on this movie. Are you basically saying that you appreciate that this is breaking free of the old DC and like it's killing DC? Like you love that about it? Like five percent. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't give it credit for that, but you know. But I think there's there's both a physicality. And an actual, like, intellectual performance that Joaquin Phoenix puts into this character. Yeah, now I wanted that... to... I didn't get to finish my thought about Joaquin Phoenix. I do think okay. he's good in this movie, even though I don't like him. Really? I think he's good in the movie, yeah. Okay. I, and, and I don't hate the movie, but, so any any accusation that I hate okay. the movie is not fair. Because I don't but hate the movie. But you disliked the movie. I disliked it. Okay. That's it. So you don't hate it, no. but you don't like it. Right. So that's where you are. Yeah. Whereas, I don't love the movie, but I like it a lot. See, it's very similar. It sounds to me like a very similar position. It's Not like exactly. The, it's like the perfect movie to put on when you're going to bed. You know? it's, it, it's, it's like saying that um, heads or tails on a coin are very similar because they're on the same coin, but we're opposite sides. No, I, uh, maybe. But I mean, I... I liked it less than I liked it more. Okay, you so, liked it more so than you liked here's, it. So here's here's a way where where we can ju- judge it. Um, do you want to rewatch the film like like right after watching right it? After do watching you want it, to see it again? Hard no. Now, what about right now? Now that it's been a little bit, I'd be willing to put it on until it irritated me enough that I walked <laughs> away. <laughs> That's fair. Totally fair. Me like the second I got done watching it, I was like, I would want to watch that again. But the more I talked about it, the more I wanted to rewatch the movie mm-hmm. because I felt like that—that that to me is a sign that it is a good movie, or at least a very interesting bad movie. Is when you watch a film 
and you walk away from it and you have a lot of questions and you want to re-watch the movie to better understand the ideas behind it. And conversely... And I feel like, I feel like Joker is a movie that is fucking perfect for that. Yes. There's, there's, there's a lot of uh, layers to it. There's a lot yeah. of depth to it. And I feel like whereas like a bad movie you want to rewatch it because it's baffling and you want to better understand it. Yeah. This is a good movie in that it has a lot of very big ideas that you don't necessarily grasp the first time, so you want to go back and rewatch it so you can better understand what it is the movie is presenting to you. And not just that, but mm-hmm. also you have Joaquin Phoenix's performance, which is both physical and psychological and emotional. To where you're just like, okay, I want to see like the depths that he goes to convey this character and the pathos that is being presented pathos, on the screen. Yes. Yeah, pathos. But let me just say though that I, from in my opinion, I think that this movie gives a projection of a deeper meaning than what is really there. And I could appreciate if it had that deeper meaning. And I get what you mean that it feels like it has that. But I, I'm just saying when I study like the actual content of the movie, when I study the performances. I find all those like underlying messages to just be totally shallow, totally hollow. I feel like it doesn't have anything to say about social injustice. It doesn't have anything to do say about uh, random acts of violence. It doesn't have anything to say about mental health. I feel like it's not say- making any comments about any of those things. Or if it was, I definitely was not sensing them. I wasn't sensing that this guy was an incel. Like it's being that's being like, oh, that's something so profound that's doing. He gets a girlfriend yeah, I reject in the that. movie. I don't think it's. I don't think that's accurate. And even though the fact that spoilers, his girlfriend in the movie is a total mental projection. But because you don't know that when you're watching it, you don't get that sense about him that he's not into girls or that he can't get a girl. You get a sense that he could get a girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he would yeah, just absolutely. point his attention in the real world. That's a great point. And I don't, think, I don't think there's been enough written that has addressed that point that you just made. But I want to ask you, do you think this movie is pretentious? Yes, 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 yes. Thank and, you. That's okay. the right question. I appreciate you asking me that because that's something that I had brought up in our discussion before this. I think some movies are guilty of being pretentious when they promise you that there's more meaning here than what there really is. Okay. It's like someone promising you on the way into the movie, you're like, there's something really deep is going to happen. This is going to change your life. This is going to give you the meaning of life. They send you into it. And obviously a movie's not going to give you the meaning of life, but when they sit there and pretend like they have that depth to it, or they pretend like that messaging is there, or that this is something really new and profound, you know, when it's such a grotesque ripoff and and, and an (laughs) obvious ripoff of movies made by Martin Scorsese in the 70s, to the point where where he basically comes out and says, like, yeah, this is... Martin Scorsese's two movies that he made back-to-back with Robert De Niro, this is Taxi Driver and... And you have to have seen them both King of to comedy. really get it. King of comedy. And it's it's the character from one into the plot of the other in a way that's sloppy, uh, doesn't make any sense at all, doesn't attempt to play into the narrative stream at all. You have totally separate narratives that come and go episodically while trying to hold this grandiose narrative about a talk show that doesn't make any sense. You know, you have characters that change radically from one scene to the next scene. You know, like the mother is an example that I like to bring up. You know, he seems to have a relationship with his mother that is odd, yes, of course, because he's taking care of his elderly mother, which people do do, but it doesn't give you a sense that she is abusing him and that she's been abusing him all these years. It doesn't give you that sense at all. And then in the end of the movie, they try to sell you this at the end, like a little switcheroo, like, oh, and she was tricking him the whole time. And, <laughs> and it's ridiculous. See, this is where you and I deviate, because for me... 
I see it as um, absolutely this is a movie that presents itself as being from the perspective of Arthur Fleck, um, the titular Joker. Yeah. And so for him, he's going in with this innocent, wide-eyed view of the world. And the world continuously rejects him and abuses him both physically and emotionally and mentally. And ultimately what ends up happening is that he has a violent reaction to the way that the world has treated him. So I don't see this as being a pretentious movie. And I definitely feel like the way that they present uh, mental illness and the way that uh, a person would respond to that in a very realistic and very sensitive manner. And I think that's one of the key differences is I feel like for you, it didn't resonate with you quite the way that it resonated with me, which is totally fair, which is totally fine. Like, but do you think you're projecting your own like mental issues into it? You feel like this means something to you because you connect to it, like that kind of a thing? Because when I watch a movie, I don't, yeah, but, I don't project but, but my more own so, crazy stuff in there. Yeah. I just let the movie be the movie. More but so I'm crazy, because, but that doesn't have to do with the movie. But it's not it's not about me personally and my mental state. It's more about my understanding of how the world affects certain people. And especially but people that are... You're not going to kill a random person. Even if you had a gun in your pocket, you're not going to kill three random guys uh, in the subway because they were like... No, but I've had a very similar situation to that, to where I I had, I took the only thing on me that I had as a weapon, and I was prepared to use that because I thought there were a couple of guys that were going to attack a girl who came over to me to seek perfect protection yeah and so i've been in a situation that is extremely similar to what was displayed there did you think the about difference that though the difference the though is i'm not a person who feels helpless and and like look i'll i'll be very very personal right now yeah. i've gone through some very traumatic and horrible childhood abuse um and they don't go into exact detail about that, uh, about Arthur Fleck's childhood. Yeah. But they very heavily imply that he is the way he is because terrible things happened to him as a child as a direct result no. of inaction by his mother. In all respect to you, I think you're projecting that into the movie. I think that is, that's profound and Look, intelligent thing to say. Look, if you've seen the movie, if you've seen the movie, you can make that's that. That's not in the movie, that he had a, a when he, he goes to Arkham. When he goes to Arkham, the file that he gets says explicitly that his mother got committed because she was not doing anything to prevent him being horrifically physically abused when he was a small defenseless child. I didn't see that. And those, like, the whole thing is, what it's I about how he's informed he his adopted. worldview and the way that he feels about his mom. Yeah, he is adopted. That's all but I saw. Well, I don't know the, the other stuff you're talking is, about. No, that's what in the violence? movie. I saw he was adopted. He the was adopted. The paperwork said he was adopted. That was no, it. No, the paperwork said that his mom, no, the paperwork said that his mom had to be, uh, his mom had to be institutionalized in Arkham Asylum mm -hmm. because she was not doing an adequate job of protecting him from abuse. That's in the movie. And you're sympathetic to that. You you relate to that. So you say, I'm Arthur Fleck. I love this movie. I don't, 
that is not the way that I view it. You're putting words in my mouth. What I'm saying is that... You do that to me all the time. That makes you understand the character better because if you look at it as he was a small child and horrible things happened to him okay. and the one person I'd in like, the fucking world Honor, that was supposed to stand up like for him did not stand up for I'd him. I'd like to see this scene in the movie And he blocked that out. Because I blocked that That's out. why he does what he does to his I mother later in out. the movie. I blocked that out because I don't remember seeing that. I just remember yeah. them saying that he was adopted see now you as the audience better understand matt's perspective on the movie that he blocked out such a key crucial portion of the movie that informs how he should view the actions of the character going into the third act or that he's like why is he doing this whereas like me a person who paid attention to the movie looked at it and said well, yeah, he blames his mother for the horrific abuse that he suffered that caused him to be who he is right now. And therefore, he looked at it as two things. One, his mother deserved to die for not doing a better job of protecting him as a vulnerable youth. And two, she is suffering because she has had a stroke and her quality of life is going to be forever decreased yeah. or for the next... 5, 10, 15, 20, okay. however long she exists. And that's another thing I can I can relate to personally. Yeah. I watched my dad over the last several years of his life yeah. go through something similar where his physical abilities, his mental capabilities, all of that was diminished yeah. because he it was degrading on a rapid scale for him. Yeah. So for me, it's just like, yeah, I can understand why someone would look at their parent, somebody that they love, somebody that they look up to, that hold on a fucking pedestal and be like, I can't allow this motherfucker to live another second on this earth because they are suffering yeah and at the same time she is the source of so much of his suffering and anguish because didn't she didn't that. do her job I didn't see as that. his mother and protector so it's in the file okay, when he goes well, to arkham it's there okay we could make an audio bet right here at 30 whatever minutes 33 minutes after yeah 30 minutes in the podcast because we have all that preamble yeah so 30 minutes in this moment where Manny told me that there was signs of violence in the movie about Google his childhood. It. I'm not going to Google it, but we're going we're gonna to remember this. We're going to look back and we're going to research into this. I think you're projecting this into the movie because I think you see a deranged person and you ask yourself, how can this person be so deranged? And you say, well, they must have been abused as a child. But they show you that. I just didn't that's presented in the film. I'm not making it up. Okay, I just want to see it. I want to see it because... Arthur, or am I making that up? You remember that, too? They say it. They don't show it, though. That's what makes me... When he gets the file, though. When he gets the file. What's it say in the file? Like, he has a flashback where he's watching them interview his mother. Yeah. Like, reading reading the file. Yeah, they still don't show him being abused, though. But they don't need to show him being abused. Like... Like, the fact that they're introducing that enough to show that she was institutionalized as a result... You're saying it's inferred. Of, of, yes, it's okay. heavily, okay. heavily, okay. heavily I'll give inferred. you that, I'll give yes. you that. I'm not going to fight you. Eileen, that. you remember that part, yeah. right? An, an, infer- an inference. When he goes when he goes to uh, Arkham... I can appreciate... And he finds his mother's inference. file, and it turns out that he's yeah. not the son of I'm not Thomas saying Wayne. you have to he literally was show it. And he was subjected frame. to horrific abuse. I'm open abuse, to inferences. Uh, because his mother did not intervene, right? I think there was a... Where they said he was chained to the radiator. Yeah, there you go. But his mom does not give that like that kind of like feel or that vibe or like that she's because she's in denial. She's delusional, and that's the whole point. Is like her perception of reality does not match with actual reality. 
And so it goes from okay. he's buying into yeah. her perception of reality. And the moment that he realizes that her perception of reality is inaccurate and that the reality that he's been experienced is the actual real reality, that's the moment of schism. That's when he loses his grip and he decides to no longer subscribe to the conventions of society and he decides to react the way that emotionally he feels. So that's why when his co-workers show up at his place... He decides that it's it's acceptable to violently murder his one coworker because that guy did him wrong, and that's the whole point of the film. Is he does not go out and kill somebody who does not deserve it. Yeah. He doesn't attack anybody who did not do him wrong. Well, let, let's take and that, even even let's with, take that murder scene in the apartment. Let's just dissect that for okay. a second. Okay. This, go ahead. Because this is what I'm trying to talk about. Because when you dissect these things, just a, a layer deeper than than what's obviously on the what's obvious on the the surface of it. So, if he kills this random coworker, does he clean it up? Does he leave his apartment? Does he get caught for that? Does he get questioned for that? Like, what happens with the body? Well, that's that's where the the whole narrative starts to get into a questionable place. Of are they like similar to American Psycho? Are the events that are being presented to us as the audience accurate in actually Mm -hmm. happening the way that they are presented? Or are they a projection of the figments of the main character's imagination? Because the entire movie is from the perspective Mm. of Arthur Fleck. Which we do get points where it's shown that he is not a reliable narrator. So... When his whole relationship with his neighbor, played by Zazie Beetz, um, when it's presented that that's an entire fantasy, that is a clue from the director mm-hmm. that you cannot 100% trust, trust his perspective of events that are occurring. Yeah. So maybe he didn't murder his coworker. Maybe they just came over and they had a drink with him and they left alive, healthy, yeah. nothing happened. Same thing with his mother. Maybe he did not smother his mother. So you're giving yourself Maybe his mother a complete died. license to rewrite the entire movie with the, with this kind of logic because he that we show I'm not giving scene. myself anything. I'm saying the filmmakers gave us this license. I disagree. The only thing they gave to us and took away which I loved was the the part about the girlfriend. I loved how they set that up and they revealed that that was all fake in his head. But you're taking things literally. That's not You're literal. taking things... No, you're taking things as... The they have to show you... They the have to show, to show you literally... You yeah, and what I'm saying is... They showed you this one thing literally... But the movie can't go on for three, four, five hours. That's like saying the if movie a movie doesn't make sense... Then I'm going to give it the credit to be whatever it wanted... Whatever I want it to have been. Just because it didn't make sense. Okay. It's easier to make a movie that doesn't make sense... Than to make a movie that does make sense. That's my point. But the whole thing about presenting a narrative is you are presenting a, a an individual, a character's account of events as they happen. Yeah. Which does not mean that they are literally true. Like, that's the whole thing. Like, a narrative is someone's story, not a reporting of events. So, with this movie, you have to view it as mm, what do you choose to believe actually happened? And, and, and to go back... I can so, answer that. So this is, this is a previous conversation we're having, but when you look at a movie like 12 Monkeys, yeah, everything that's presented to you on the screen, I can you take as being literal 
or do you take some things as being like figurative no. and works of imagination no. and fantasy? No, or none of Twelve Monkeys is fantasy. Twelve Monkeys is it's about one hundred percent literal. It's about a time loop. Twelve okay. Monkeys is a, is a movie I have studied in depth, in extreme depth. It's about a time loop that's happening over and over and over. And it's not like the Back to the Future time loop where everything is the same. It's a time loop where everything changes each time through. Okay. But the voice that Bruce, Bruce Willis is, is, is hearing inside of his head, is that a real voice or is that an, an imagined voice? Now, they do, they do play with an ambiguity in the movie about yes. whether he is crazy or whether he's sane. I agree yeah. that they do play with that. I think that Terry Gilliam, who directed that one, uh, failed to really make it completely ambiguous because I'm able, as a, as a fan of the movie, to determine every single time of like what's real and what's fake. And the voice in his head is totally fake. That is him having like a mental But he break. meets the guy that is the source of the voice that he's hearing. That is... So is he a real person or is he a projection of Bruce Willis's mental illness? He's a projection of Bruce Willis's mental illness. So that person doesn't exist? No. Okay, because I really feel like Andy McDowell acknowledges the existence no, of that person. No, it's not Andy McDowell. No, but I gotta, I gotta rewatch that. Yeah, it's um, I forget her name, but she does look kind of like Andy McDowell. But uh, the the girl that plays uh, uh, Madeline Stowe was her name. Yeah, Madeline Stowe. Uh, Madeline Stowe. But okay, so let me let me move beyond that because we've we've we talked about it as much as it needs to be talked about. Yeah. So um, uh, Fight so, Club. Yeah. Do you believe that everything that happens in Fight Club is literal, or do you believe that some somewhat of it is you know, a uh, fantasy projection? You know, Fight Club is a movie that works as a like movie, like as a magic trick. Like, let's go to the movies, let's have a good time. You can't dissect it super hard because you'll you'll make yourself have unpleasantries with the movie that I don't care to have. It's, it's like a it's a, it's a it's a surface level movie that's having fun with the surface and it's commenting on surface okay. and it's all about a satire on what is the surface and that's why you're allowed not to dig into it too super deeply. But I can tell you that um, every time that he is interacting with other people we don't see a version of it where they're just seeing one person. We see a version where they see two people and and we're never shown a reality that is like reality. We're shown, but it's it's all because it's reality. shown from the perspective of Ed, Edward Norton. Yeah, Edward yeah. Norton's character. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Which Edward Norton, he he projects the character of um, Tyler Durden. Tyler Durden, because he is incapable of seeing himself taking that level. Of ownership and charge over his own life. The, all the things that happen with the plot from the word go are implausible from a realistic standpoint. And that's why I think it tries to let you off that. It tries to give you permission to say, let go of your like mental hang-ups about movies and just let go of all the reality. And it pulls that apart at the very beginning when it says, like, this guy never sleeps, you know. He says he never sleeps, and then when you watch it for the second time and you know about Tyler Durden, you learn that while he thinks he's sleeping, he's actually... Awake and he's Tyler Durden. And, yeah. And while he's not, and even though he knows, there, he's, there's a cutoff between Rupert, which you said Rupert is a reference back to the King of Comedy. King of Comedy, yeah. There's a cutoff between Rupert, Cornelius, um, Cornelius, yeah, um, Travis, Jack, Jack, yeah, Jack the narrator. Yeah. Um, there's there's a cutoff between him and like when Tyler Durden takes over his persona, takes over his physical being. So yeah. what I'm saying is that you have that unreliable narrator. And you have that twist that comes along during the movie. 
And that movie I'm asking just you, breaks all those rules in a smart way. Fight Club breaks every rule, and that's what it's so funny. It's about rules. It's just it's a genius yeah. movie for those reasons. It tells you like, here's your rules, and fuck you. You know, it just it yeah. Breaks and all and rules. if you want to say that, that's why that, it's a great movie. If you want to say that, um, you know, uh, he makes a better film than Todd Phillips. Like that, that he is more talent as a filmmaker than Todd Phillips. I will 100% completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Um, same thing if you want to say that Terry Gilliam is a more talented uh, filmmaker that's better to elaborate upon his ideas yeah, and okay. express them. When you have I will completely agree with you, you but have at the same time, dramatically I, feel like Todd Phillips, I feel like Todd Phillips deserves so much credit for just having a fully realized vision of not only this character... But also the the world in which he inhabits, because to me, I felt like I could identify with that world, even if the world that I they're can't. presenting was something that existed before I was fully conscious See, as a human being. I can't give the movie that compliment, and this is why, because Todd Phillips, he created that moment where the Joker is on the steps, that great like moment for the trailer where he's dancing, that moment that's mm-hmm. so good in the movie. He created that moment. Early on, because that's the moment we saw in the super like teaser previews. Yeah. And they've kind of said that they basically found the character through like physicality, doing scenes like that. And that scene was supposed to represent how he transforms between like Arthur Fleck and now he's like the Joker through this whole like big kind of scene. But they show it as being a physical transformation because of the makeup and the costume that he has to put on that the Joker allows him, and this is where I think it ties so much to Fight Club but also American Psycho, and then also 12 Monkeys, is that he's able to find the true expression of who he is as an individual and who he is as a uh, psyche through this physical manifestation that can only occur between him putting on the makeup and putting on the costume and then setting out to accomplish yeah. a goal. And I feel like that's where they deserve so much fucking credit. And not only creating a world and an environment that seems so plausible and so believable and so realistic, but then also the way that he interacts within that environment and within other people that are a product of that environment. And I feel like that is something that deserves a lot of fucking credits. Okay, I would say, I see what you're saying, but to me it's got that quality of like... Emperor's new clothes. It's got that pretentious, like it's got that almost there, and maybe in the hands of someone better, it could have been better. But it's like it's like that. It's almost there, but just oh, so close. But okay. it just wasn't okay. It, you know? That is fair. That is fair. Like, that's how that's how it hits. Like, me. like the I thing is, is, like is I can't more. I can't paint your reality for you. Yeah. If you didn't completely buy into the world that this yeah. movie was presenting, yeah, you're not going to completely buy into the character yeah. and everything else that's built upon it. For me. Like, when they introduced it from the beginning and they started talking about there is a trash uh, um, strike. Yeah. That that it's just piling up and piling up. That is real events that's happened in cities like Chicago, New York, yeah. Boston, all over. Totally. And so, like, to me, like, I'm like, yeah, like, I identify with that. Even though I've never lived through that, I know that that happened. And I know that there were complications and problems. And I know that that's a direct expression of the inequality that is inherent to the capitalistic system. A system that has yeah. greatly benefited a character like Thomas Wayne. Okay. And that was another thing, too, is... 
the fact that Thomas Wayne is supposed to represent the good guys, the the, the side of light, the side of justice, and everything else, yeah. and he's somebody that buys into this completely false narrative of, well, I'm an exceptional individual, and I worked for everything that I have, and you did not, and you are a subpar individual, and that is why you are fucking struggling. Like... The expression of that is something that got me to buy into this movie. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a little bit where the disconnect is for us, but well, you would have to tell me yourself. Well, let's talk about this. So I would say there's four plot threads that are kind of run through the movie. The one with Thomas Wayne is definitely like one of them. Mm-hmm. I would say there's the taxi driver plot line, a guy who's slowly going from sane to completely insane. That's taxi driver. Yeah. Is going on. The other plot thread is the king of comedy plot thread, which is... A uh, very, uh, very shallow movie of its own. That with with Murray, the talk show host, played by Robert De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Robert De Niro is the talk show host. And and we can't ignore that there is very clearly established a fantasy scenario where Arthur Fleck yeah. views Murray as being a father figure to him. Somebody that is iconic. Somebody that he looks up to. Yeah. Somebody that he is seeking the approval of. Yes. Like, he's not seeking that same approval from Thomas Wayne. Yeah. The only reason he even seeks out Thomas Wayne is because his mother establishes that there okay. may be a Actually, connection can to Can I play off what you're saying? Like What okay. you're saying yeah. gives me a good idea for how they could have done this. Okay. One plot line that I enjoy in movies is good father, bad father. When one character has two fathers, one is their good father, one is their mm-hmm. bad father. I love that in a movie. That's a, a family-based theme. That and I, that is a fucking brilliant way to look at films. You know, but they... Especially this one. But they didn't have that. You know, you're describing good father, bad father plot, which I love. I love that. But I, I don't see that when I watch this movie. I don't see Thomas Wayne as the bad father and or the good father or whatever. Or, you know, it's kind of... I guess it would be sort of ambiguous in this movie. But okay. if, if you were really doing the plot correctly, you would have a clear good father and a clear bad father. But you know this movie doesn't really do that. I would love that. You know, I would love if he if he looked up to the person who's the talk show host, and he looked up to Bruce Wayne, and he was trying to get both of them as like his mentors and to sort of help him out. And one pushed him down, one kind of pulled him forward. Yeah. And it kind of turned him into the Joker. You know, that based on his past. You know, I, that sounds good to me. You know, but that's not what I feel like I saw with this movie. Okay. You know, so I feel like that's an example of you're describing a great plot that I love, and I'd love to see that in this movie. But I didn't see that. I okay. didn't see. I didn't see Good Father, Bad Father. And that, okay, so now you, as the audience, can see what the disconnect is for us. Because yeah. for me, I saw that. Okay. Like I, I, I saw where um, Murray could have been the good father that turned Arthur Fleck into a good boy who tried hard and really worked to be the best best person that he could be yeah. whereas Thomas Wayne like shitting on him like um you know um yeah. what's the butler's name uh Alfred Alfred you know rejecting and telling Arthur to fuck off and leave yeah. Bruce you know, Wayne alone Alfred was a great character they could have put in this story you know he's a character yeah. who doesn't get enough of his own like outside the Wayne Manor storyline. You could have put him outside. He could have met Arthur Fleck. Like, that's what you should have been doing, is like okay. playing with the ancillary uh, Batman characters. So, so okay, let, let, let's do this, because I don't know how much longer you want to go on about this subject. No, just a few more minutes. Yeah, but I do want to address the fact that, okay, so a big part of this movie, and a big part of the reason why it is, it has been watched by so many people, it's yes. made so much money, it's getting so much critical response, is because it positions itself as a story that is a part of the Batman mythos. Right. And with comic books, 
the unique thing about comic books is you can have these characters that, even if you're not a major fan, you can understand the genesis of these characters and who these characters are, the identity that they represent, who their arch nemeses are, um, the environment they inhibit, um, you know, all those different things. Um, and so for this, it's very heavily positioned upon everybody buying into this movie and this narrative as being part of the Batman mythos. And well, it's also breaking an important rule that we that we've established with these kind of movies, which is that when you have the same actors playing the same parts, that you're basically in the same like universe. Yeah. And this is breaking that rule by saying like, here's a one-off. Like this is in that universe, but it's mm. not. Or this is in the this is in the Earth an, an Earth far away version of Joker, basically. Like that's how they explained it in the comic books. It's like well, that's fair. Like what I will say is that um, that especially with the DC universe, that they've displayed that they will uh, write in a new character, that they will change um, the whole backstory, that they'll shift into a new universe mm. um, based on who they have available as the actors, based on who they have available as the director for a film, and who is writing the script that is going to be used for this. Mm -hmm. Because obviously, like... The whole plan was they wanted to hand the mantle from Christopher Nolan because his Batman trilogy was so successful. Right, they wanted to hand that off to Zack Snyder. Um, Zack Snyder, and then Zack Snyder's films were not as popular, even yeah. though they tried to follow in the vein of what Christopher Nolan. And that, you know, I've, I've been a, a not a fan of his for a long time, Zack Snyder. Yeah. Ever since Three Hundred came out, that was one of those movies that people loved, and I was just like, it's whatever. <laughs> it's absolutely whatever. I did like, but it's not Dawn even it's not even Zack Snyder though, because like if if you hand if you hand a job like saying like hey we need you to create a new Superman for us to someone like Zack Snyder and then he does not do the best job with it, yeah. it's not necessarily his fault. It's Warner Brothers' fault for looking at that filmmaker and saying you are capable of creating this level of quality with this level of material. Yeah, and if you think about Chris Nolan, he kind of made a one-shot in his own way. You know, he wasn't thinking about, oh, this is connected to the, the other Batman movies that they just mm -hmm. made ten years ago. This is its own, like, one-shot Yeah, well, story. I mean... He wasn't trying to fit anyone else's story into his story. Yeah, he wasn't trying to make a The universe. entire Dark Knight trilogy is completely unconnected to everything else that exists in the DC universe. Yeah. Um, but it's also like it's there's it, no reference to Superman. There's no reference to Flash. But it should have Justice been League. the Bedrock, it, you know. And if if DC was really thinking this whole thing through, and if they knew that it would be what it would be, they would have made it to where they could keep making those Batman movies. You know, you could pass off the role to Robin. You could pass it off to a new Batman. You could do whatever you want. Yeah, but you when know? you compare that to what Marvel did with Iron Man. Basically, like, you had Iron Man and you had um, Captain America. Yeah. But it was really the Iron Man films that kicked off the Avengers yeah. it was whole storyline. And Iron Man. And Iron Man's success is what birthed the whole Marvel universe. Well, and Iron Man set up the fact that there is a larger universe of superheroes mm -hmm. beyond just Iron Man. That Iron Man was somebody who had earned... Um, the opportunity to ascend to the level of working with Captain America and Hulk yeah. and 
everybody else that yeah, was it kind of gave you an every ended up in the Avengers of like the superhero world because you came up in a realistic world with Tony Stark and you got all the way to this Guardians of the Galaxy reality with Tony Stark. Yeah. So you're able yeah. to enter into the sci-fi world of it all through a believable character that you could say this it is Bill wasn't, Gates. It wasn't done perfectly Steve at all. Jobs or whoever. But it was done so extremely well mm-hmm. and there's really nothing else to compare it to besides what DC and right. Warner Brothers and, has and done. Iron Man is such a seemingly like rip-off character of Batman. That's what also makes <laughs> it kind of a... Kind of a yeah. Spit in the yeah. eye. It's like this is the 21st century. Rich version kid of with dead parents who died in a tragic incident. Yeah, and, he, and that's he inspired him to power. like go on and do the things that he's done. Yes. And he doesn't have like some kind of mutant superpower. He just has his brains and his resources. Yeah, and his resources are immense, as is his brains, and he's able to create a superhero persona out of those two. Uh, talents that he has exactly so those two qualities so he's, he's, he's a modern day Batman with. yeah you know and, yeah and so I think and the world loves Batman you know so the world was ready for the Marvel version of Batman that's all you had to say yeah like, oh this is our Batman like oh oh we'll be there well okay so I want to talk about the the major problem the major issue that I have with Joker yeah. And that is the fact that they felt it was necessary to shoehorn in among all the fucking different things that are happening in the aftermath and during the third act of this movie, the like showing you once again for the umpteenth fucking time the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. And you did not need to do that. All they needed to do was show them walking out of the theater and then taking a shortcut down the alley and then you show somebody in the Joker mask, whatever, does not matter. But they watch them walk by, and then they reach in, and you see them start to pull out the fucking handle of a revolver, and then follow them down the alley. Yeah. And then from there, you could cut away and yeah. not show anything and totally yeah. imply what happens. Or show or the even, Joker like seeing that and like, smiling like in the foreground. Or not even that. like You cut to a wide shot of like what's happening in the street, and then you see... you know flashes from the gunshots and then hear the sound in the alley but the fact that you explicitly show that that is was a major letdown yeah so that's one major letdown from the movie i want to talk about my other major letdown can i I I respond to that okay yeah go ahead sentences at that point in the movie you could have lit the whole movie on fire for me because i was so over it (laughs) i was like whatever all right next next point go ahead well okay so i want to say like that is following up his murder of Murray, the talk show host, Robert De Niro's character, live on camera in front of an audience. Hated it. Okay, explain why. Okay, here's why. Because that was a perfect opportunity to go back into this whole like fantasy world thing. I would have loved it so much more if he showed up on the set and they were like, he was like, I'm here for my show. And they were like, we don't know who you are. Like, who are you? You know, you, you <laughs> fantasized that, you know, he fantasized that they played it on TV. He fantasized that they invited him down there. Okay, and okay. He, he just That's shows interesting. up. And now he's pissed. Yeah. You know? And the fact that they didn't go from it from that angle threw me off. I was like, you're telling me that they played this random comedian on TV? You're telling me that then they invited him on if they shitted on him? Like... And then you're telling me he agreed and he had a smile on his face. It's like when he was agreeing to that and saying like, "Yeah, I'll go in, I'll I'll be on the talk show." It was like it's like your brain must not work. And I guess that's to your point about mental health. Like he's yeah, he's dumb because at one moment. Well, this is this is where you and I like previously to this like we had a big long uh, text conversation about it. Yeah, my contention is that 
At first, he was elated by the fact that his clip was being shown on his Idols TV show. But then, like, it slowly dawned on him that it wasn't being shown because they thought he was a talented voice that needed to be lifted up. They were showing it because they were mocking him specifically. Okay. And the moment that he realized that also concurred with the moment that he realized that his mom had been lying to him his entire life. And that... That was the moment where it was triggered that he fell into a downward spiral. Spiral where this movie is an is a complete and total um, satire of the normal superhero origin story. Can I just where you have to that point you have an inciting incident, and then you have this moment where the hero has to prove himself as not just being an ordinary citizen, but someone who is capable of responding to the call where most others would either shy away or like not be able to rise up to that level. And instead of doing something heroic, he did something horrific. And so that's the thing is you have to view this as being a villain origin story. Even if he isn't ultimately Batman's main adversary. All right. But let me just say, though, that I would say the, the, the super genius emotion to felt when the, when the guy makes fun of you on TV, you know, what the genius would have felt would have been like, oh, my God, I'm going to be famous just because this guy mentioned me. Like, this is good for me. This is good for what I'm doing that he mentioned me on this TV. You know, the lesser intelligent thing to feel would be like, oh, I'm hurt by this. this he's hurting me. But a valid emotion to have. But... Just of lesser intelligence, I would say. He had the smarter reaction. He was like, oh my god, he mentioned me on TV, which I love that. Because I was like, you're being smart about it. You get that. When he mentions you on TV... But you see that in his face as he's watching the clip. At first, he's elated. At first, he's excited by the prospect that his idol is mentioning him on on TV. Yes, I like that. This is his moment in the sun. This is what he's been building toward. I like that. And then it becomes a nightmare for him. And you see that slowly dawn on him. And I don't think I think that's the disconnect between my experience of the film and your experience of the film is yeah. I I sensed that whereas you did not and I didn't sense it because he showed up and he seemed like he was happy that he was about to go on it seemed like he he was going to go out there and try to give his best sort of performance but then in the back of his mind and and through some moments that we see he's also planning to murder the guy even though he's never made it clear to me that he's disappointed. By I don't this. think he was planning to murder him because he. Brought I think the he gun. went out there. No, he brought the gun because he had two scenarios planned out in his head, and one scenario is he goes out there, and Murray tells him like, "Look, I'm sorry that everyone laughed at you for the wrong reasons. I think you're brilliant, and I want to give you a chance to show everyone that you're brilliant." But then when when Murray kept rejecting, um. You know, the fact that he said, look, you were wrong to murder those three guys. Like, very clearly, Arthur realizes, like, look, this guy does not get me. He does not understand my perspective on the world. And the worst part about it is he thinks I'm a fucking joke. Just like those fucking guys on the subway. And that's when it clicks in his head. And I feel like they do a very good job in the movie of presenting that to the audience of, like... He has a moment where he realizes, like, this guy's not on my side. And because he doesn't recognize my brilliance, 
he deserves to fucking die. Like, not, 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 not only like, and that's where you get into kind of the insult territory and everything like that. And it's not like that. Like, okay. he doesn't just sit there and say like, this guy doesn't recognize me and think I'm great and everything else like that. It's more this guy thinks I'm a fucking joke. Right. This guy thinks it's okay to laugh at me. All right. Last thing we're going on and on about this, but last thing I'll say is that you know I don't think that. I don't think that the Joker that I know of is that, like, emotionally unstable. I feel like the Joker is a guy who has a plan and he sticks with it. And that's what I like about the Heath Ledger Joker. He has a plan and he acts through his plan, but then he He literally says, plan. do I look like a guy who has a plan? That's his whole thing is chaos. That's a ruse, His whole thing though. is he wants to but upset the social ruse. order. That's a clear ruse because he always has a plan. He always has detailed plans. So that's an obvious. No, he, he he What he's doing is he's he's interjecting an impetus into society, and then he wants to see the reaction that comes out of it. Like a plan would be if he expected there to be an exact response to what he was doing. What's the better movie? Who's the better Joker? I mean, Heath Ledger Heath is Ledger. still the best Joker. Best Joker. But, 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 but. See, we agree on all this stuff. You act like we disagree. <laughs> this is incredible. We don't you even disagree. You act like we disagree. All right. But, but here's the thing. So We agree. No, I, I believe Joaquin so Phoenix had a great performance <laughs> as the Joker. And if his, if his performance existed before Heath Ledger's performance, we would all be looking at, like, well, clearly Joaquin Phoenix is the best Joker. But because... Um, there was Heath Ledger's performance, and it was singular. He never had a chance to reprise that. That I think that everybody wants to look at that and say, like, look, that is the best. Right. That is the final best representation of this character. Give me your final thoughts on it. Or I'll go first if you want me to. So, look, I, I will say it's a flawed film. There are flaws. The way that it presents the whole narrative about... Um, economic inequality and social injustice like that is so flawed i think that needed to be more in the background yeah. and personally for me like i love the fact that there is a mainstream film that is out there that has such an audience that is talking about the fact that capitalism is harmful for our society that allowing people that are forceful and successful because they're forceful to generate not just millions but billions of dollars and rise to the top of society and then not only that but to influence politics i think that is something that it's amazing that that is in the forefront right now and people are talking about it and watching and analyzing it um but at the same time i think that the way that this film went about presenting it was extremely flawed um that's extremely me, flawed yes because I think that that needed to be something that was more in the background for a film like this. Because they never fully got into that. And that was, that was something that the character himself says, look, I'm not, I don't have political motivations. Like, I'm not doing this as some part of a political mo uh, movement. I'm, I'm responding directly to things that are happening to me. Is that your final thought? Yeah, so I'm saying that's one of the major uh, flaws of this. Like, you want to say that, like, Red Letter Media is, like, baby's first taxi no, no, driver. Th th their opinion um, is their opinion. I, yeah, I'm their opinion is their opinion. I want you to have your opinion. I want you to have What your I'm opinion. saying is, like, I agree with I some agree points with that them. they make, but also at the same time, I'm saying that, like, look, the, the writing and the performance of this, if you look past the flaws, it's an immaculate film. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, the Red Letter Media acts like they don't hold any movie, like, superior to anything else, but they hold... Those kind of like filmy filmmaker taxi driver movies, they they hold those up super high. 
I don't. I don't especially like those movies. I definitely see the correlation between this movie and that movie. And for me, the problem with Joker is that it needed to be retooled more. It needs to be reworked more. I think you had sort of a rush job of a story. I think you have a lot of plot elements that don't clearly connect with each other. You know, I think the the only one that really works for me is the plot line with the girlfriend that's his neighbor that turns out to be a fantasy. I love that whole sequence. I love yeah, every I love bit that, of that that turned out to be a fantasy. I love the way reality. it played out. I thought that was perfect. I thought if all four segments of the plot would have been like that, then it would have been a great movie. I thought the stuff with Thomas Wayne was nonsensical at best. I feel like if it was trying to make a point, it absolutely failed. And I feel like it was a wasted a, a total a total waste of of an ancillary Bruce Wayne character. I think Thomas Wayne is totally the wrong call. What we just talked about earlier, Alfred. That's the that's the move because Alfred is is Batman's real dad. Yeah, you know, and any Batman fan would know. Well, that. he's a, his he's his adoptive father, and that's the difference between Arthur Fleck and Thomas Wayne. Is Arthur Fleck never had that caring father figure that Thomas Wayne had in Spades. This should he have had been it, about he had it first. Alfred and the Joker. That's the move. Just like what they talked about in the Dark Knight. If they did, if they did a sequel to it, maybe. But I don't think this this movie needs a sequel. That's that's one of the areas where I really differentiate with our friend Ken. Mm. Um, Ken wanted to see a movie where this Joker goes up against um, that this universe's Batman. And yeah, I was like, no, happen. no, that would be so terrible. That would be like exactly like all the things that you you dislike about this movie. That would be the entirety of that movie. What I do want you to address right now before we stop recording. Okay. So you made a comparison of this film to another film. Yes. And I think our audience is going to find it very surprising. Well, uh, but I, hold on, hold on. <laughs> let me finish. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell it. What you said was that you felt like in the movie... Major pain. I was asked, starring Damon Wayans. I was asked to name a that, better. That movie was than a this. more complete performance. I was asked that to there name was a, a greater movie, amount of character pain growth. Is a better movie because your major point of contention was. I said this movie is a character study, and you said character study is a bullshit term for when a movie does not have a plot. <laughs> I did say that, <laughs> <laughs> which you're not completely wrong, but I feel like in this case you are. And so your contention was that Major Payne did a better job of displaying a character going through mental anguish and dealing with emotional uh, post-traumatic stress trauma yeah. than did this movie. Yeah, so I want you to defend that. Well, obviously they're very different movies. I understand that. Yes. You know, and we had just put Major Payne on. And, and I, you're not an idiot. I want to make no. that clear. I don't think you're an idiot. <laughs> no. I just and, think and it's a gets, hilarious point and, to make. And, and he gets my point because he likes the movie Major Pain. And we, and we put it on and we were both laughing yes. about it. But my, you know, my point... Beautiful, I, wonderful film. And I actually didn't think about the mental health angle. You gave me credit for that. And I, yeah. I wasn't really thinking about that with the movie. I just I meant more like this is a great movie. Because you know, when somebody <laughs> asks me what a great movie is, we can talk about Major Pain, but there's several other movies I like too, like... My Cousin Vinny is one of my favorite movies. Movies like yeah. The Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. A lot of people will hold The Big Lebowski up there because it seems more dramatic, even though it's a very comedic movie. But a movie like Kingpin. Well, and, and The Big Lebowski, you know. to its credit, has very well-defined characters. You get who these people are, even if you can't completely relate yeah. to them. You understand who they are. No. And it, they work within the, vi- the environment they're in. Even if you, like, when I watched The Big Lebowski, I'd never been to Los Angeles before in my life. Yeah. But I got a sense of what it was like. And when I moved here, 
it was exactly the way that the film presented, even if the film was 20 years yeah, in the past when I arrived. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I felt that same way. And and anyway, I don't I don't need to change topics off Major Pain. You know, Major Pain is a movie that I absolutely love. Whenever I watch <laughs> it, you know, the things I love about it are that the plot is so tight. I love that the character is is sort of zany and he exists in a world of sort of normal-ish yeah. people. But, but I would like zany. for you to like address that. how Major Pain, Damon Wayne's character is a more complete and more fully realized character than Joaquin Phoenix's author Fleck. Well, and I think it is a, you know, now that you put it into the aspect of, like, mental health, that, that helps me a lot to make my point, actually, because, you know, he's a character that, because he lives in a real world that we can really understand, because all the characters around him are real, and he's the only one that's silly, we can understand that he's had, like, a screwed-up childhood. We can, okay. we can infer that. We can infer that he's been in the military for a long time, we can infer that Damon Wayans did like a, a Mike Tyson impersonation, and so somehow this was like <laughs> Mike Tyson as a drill sergeant. It was Mike Tyson as the drill sergeant from uh, Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket. Jacket. Yeah. yeah, which is a, a hysterical place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just like I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. Like the movie had me at the very beginning. And he has that moment with his fellow soldier where it's like it's doing a parody of all these uh, Vietnam movies. And he's like, oh, my leg. And he's like, he's like, let me see your hand. And then he snaps his finger off. And he's like, my goddamn finger. And he's like, you're not thinking about your leg anymore, are he goes, you? He goes, you? And then he tries to do that to the kid. And you're like, holy shit, this guy doesn't understand the difference. Like He says, you want you me to show you a little trick? Take your mind off that pain? See, works every time. <laughs> and he's about to do that to like a six-year-old boy. Yes, that's called the cutest little six-year-old boy in this fucking movie. And then you have that's to have... That's uh, set up and pay off. Yeah, you have to have... Uh, what, what was her name? Uh, the actress from um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, so beautiful back yeah. in the 90s. Oh my God, she's so gorgeous. Yeah, I don't remember her name either. Though. Yeah. But but yeah, she's she's a great foil to his character in this movie. But okay, so my my <laughs> argument with you is that, um, and, then, and this is where the audience is going to really understand who you are as yeah. a presenter and who I am. Yeah. Uh, so th- I've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of so many Will Ferrell movies. Yeah. Um, you know, like Step Brothers. Is that one, one of my that favorite you movies? Step Brothers. I really like Step Brothers okay, a lot. Yeah, yeah. I realize it's, I a, it's like. a dumbass movie. Yeah. It's a stupid dumbass. And part of the reason why you don't like, like we had a conversation. This is when yeah. you and I were getting to know each other. Yeah. But we had a conversation. You said, "Look, Step Brothers. The whole point of that movie is for the audience to constantly laugh at Will Ferrell's character. No, 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 the ca- the characters in the movie to laugh at Will." Well, yeah, yeah, but not the audience, but not, not the characters, but but the audience. Like the whole perspective no, is like everybody else. But like, my point is about the people in the movie are laughing at him inside the movie, and we're watching that, and we're laughing with those other people against our hero. I guess that's yeah, that's the dynamic that I don't like. But how is that okay? So like you like Talladega Nights yes. a lot, right? Yeah, and Talladega how is Nights, that any different from Talladega Nights? Because in Talladega Nights, uh, he's Will Ferrell's a successful. Uh, you know, talented race car driver that's driven. He has ambition. But not at the beginning. At the beginning, he's a fucking loser. Uh, but people aren't laughing at him at the beginning because he's a NASCAR like pitman. I mean, if you're a NASCAR pitman, you're not gonna. If you have a buddy that's a NASCAR pitman, you're not gonna say like, "Man, that's it. That's all you did with your <laughs> life." Like, that's pretty fucking cool. 
know? <laughs> Funny story. I dated I dated someone who was part of uh, one of the only all female pit crews, um, not for NASCAR, but for the truck series. Did you spit so, in her eye? And it was no, no. But it was it was seriously like she was doing that right around the same time that Talladega Nights was released. So it was like this weird thing. Um, where I was like trying to picture like, well, what if she had to jump in the car and fucking drive for um, Shauna or whatever her name was, the driver? Yeah, um, like Talladega Nights. Yeah, yeah, like Talladega Nights. Yeah, it's, and it's like it's like if a hillbilly was to fantasize, like, how do you get into NASCAR anyway? Like that might be how you fantasize about it, and that's well, what makes the plot of that movie so fun. Okay, you do you do realize that um, Talladega Nights was supposed to be part of a trilogy that included Anchorman, right? No, I didn't know that. So like, it was supposed to be. Anchorman, Talladega Nights, and then there was going to be a movie about radio broadcasters, and that was supposed to be part of this trilogy of, like, um, it was, like, a day, a night, and then I don't know what the whole thing was with the radio personality, um, but but that was the whole thing they were going for, and that never fully got realized. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a project between Adam McKay and... Um, Will Ferrell. Uh, Will Ferrell and also John C. Riley. Mm-hmm. Um and then they had Step Brothers, and Step Brothers became like this big hit and everything like that. Step yeah. Brothers, I don't think of as a perfect film at all. It's a guilty pleasure. I think it's a dumbass film. I think it's like up there with like the Ace Ventura films, to where it's just like it came around in the right part of my life for me to be able to enjoy. But yeah. if it came around now, I don't think I would be as quick to embrace it. Yeah, just because I would view it a lot more critically. Yeah. Um, but that's my contention when you're talking about Major Pain is I'm like, Major Pain is more in the vein of those films than it is in a film Oh, where, yeah. It's definitely not in the like, same... Like Fight Club, 12 Monkeys, and then yeah. Joker. Yeah, and, that, and, and and that's why it's an unfair and odd comparison. I get that. Okay. Because, you know, you, you when you say, what are other movies like Joker, you expect me to name some other, like, pretentious-ass movies, like <laughs> Fight Club and... <laughs> You, know. you think Fight Club is a pretentious ass movie? Uh, yeah, but it pulls it off. You know. Yeah, well, that's but, why I think it's not a pretentious movie because maybe for me, so. like, maybe you're right, but it, it promises pretension. Yeah, pretentious movie. Like you could look at like almost like Quentin Tarantino if it oh, wasn't yeah. for Super if it wasn't for his style and his Grindhouse, um, most pretentious movie. Well, he made. well, yeah. This is gonna but, be good because some of the footage. <laughs> <is missing. laughs> the majority of Quentin Tarantino's movies. I feel like they're not pretentious simply because he's so um, talented as a filmmaker that he's able to overcome um, the fact that his ambitions for what he wants to present visually don't always match up with with what gets presented visually. Yeah. In terms of just his the way that it's supposed to hit the audience, they're not pretentious. The way that the it way looks, that other movies are. fucking mind blowing. Like he's great. You know. But um, there, there's a lot of like really big ideas that he puts out there. Like, if you want to talk about a pretentious filmmaker, I think there is no more pretentious filmmaker than M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, you you agree with that? There's, a, I mean, there's a few other ones too I could think of. You know. Oh, okay. What about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson? Oh yeah, that, that you hit the you hit the nail on the head for me there. You hit the nail on the head. He's the king of pretension. Paul Thomas Anderson. He will make a pretentious movie. <laughs> uh, what about John Favreau? Uh, no, no, no. No, you don't think he's pretentious. Um, I think he's. I think he is a filmmaker like what I would love to be if I ever got to be a filmmaker. Like he really believes in. In crowd pleasers, he believes in box office, he believes in budget, yeah. he believes in movie stars. 
Yeah, and I, I think I think that um, so Harmony Corinne I think would be like fairly considered a pretentious filmmaker. Even someone like Kevin Smith could be considered a pretentious filmmaker. Early even on, though, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, currently Kevin Smith is what I'm really talking about. Yeah. Uh, early on, yeah, he was trying to be an auteur kind of like artistic filmmaker. I, I've been following him too closely, like with his podcast and everything. So it, yeah. it's hard for me to like to like create some false narrative that I can accuse him of because like I just know that with his last couple movies I think they've been the way that they have because he's sort of lost touch with what it was that when he made was a- him yeah into the crowd pleaser that he was yeah yeah, yeah. and and i know. think i think in the 90s he was the voice of a generation and i think since then he's fallen off he's lost um, the sense of, of how to speak to that generation. But I think he's regained it in a separate medium because I think what he does with podcasts, like as is, is perfect. Yeah. And I yeah. don't think that he needs to be making movies. You know, if he's doing that and, to make money, then I appreciate that. But what he does with podcasts, like I think he made the right transition between one medium to another medium. And I will say that Tusk is a perfect, uh, um, it's a perfect, uh, explanation like like um, visualization of the disparity between his ability to entertain people as a podcaster versus his inability to entertain people as a filmmaker no i i like him i mean when i think about pretentious people now i think ryan johnson is one of the most pretentious filmmakers out there yeah and that's an easy call to make because he made an extremely high profile film um, After making like Brick and Looper and like building up to that, and even though people I think in the moment loved <laughs> Looper, and maybe if you never saw it twice, you still love it, but that was a, f- <laughs> a fucking awful movie. That's a film that you famously dislike, <laughs> I hate um, it. Yeah, I and hate you it. don't you don't like Brick either, which no. is fair. Um, no. But okay, so what about Christopher Nolan to go Chris back Nolan, to where we he, started off from? Man, he. Is he pretentious? I mean, the absolute definition of pretentious. But he's that—he's that pretentious that he pulls it off, or Paul Thomas Anderson falls apart. Yeah, you know. Well, and 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 not only that, but like the way that Paul Thomas Anderson, um, he never tries to really make something work for a mainstream audience. Uh, I feel like Christopher Nolan really works his ass off to yeah, make an art house level film work for. A mainstream audience, and he almost nearly fucking hits it every single time. Um, but at the same time, like, what really pisses me off is the way that he always tries to weave in like these plot twists and these plot conventions, where it's clear that he's trying to outsmart his fucking yeah. audience. And we, we've and talked like, about that a lot, yeah. and I totally agree with you that. And he, you know, he's a filmmaker. I've got such mixed feelings about him because I've probably seen his movies more than anybody else. You know, I've raved about him. I've loved some of his movies. I've hated some of his movies. Some of his movies I've started off loving, and then now I kind of hate. Yeah. Now I'm at a point where I hate every single one of his movies, except for <laughs> except for Memento. And Memento, even if I, even The Dark Knight, you oh, hate The Dark. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're like okay. Oh, yeah. And well, you know, Batman. Well, Begins, here, here's the thing. I'm not, I, Batman I, Begins is is. If there's uh, anybody that's listening to this, I want to say that if you like what we say, you want to hear more from us, you want to hear more about our thoughts. Please email us, sequelitispodcast at gmail.com, and tell us you want us to release our commentary track for The Dark Knight. Uh, we started laying that out, and I feel like you had some really funny original thoughts yeah. that I think a lot of people would get value out of, 
But there's no point in doing it if there's not an audience. I think people are afraid to critique the Dark Knight. But this Joker actually makes me like the Dark Knight more than I used to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course he does. That's he's the main reason to watch the fucking movie. Yeah. Um, okay, let me say if you had Joaquin Phoenix in that role when that movie was made, would you would you enjoy and appreciate it as much as you do right now? Which one? In the Dark Knight. No, I don't like the Dark Knight. I I mean I appreciate it very little. I I like Heath Ledger's performance. I feel like casting him was still a very strange idea. I think he pulled a very interesting rabbit out of the hat with his performance, but yeah. I don't necessarily think that it's some great performance that is not just beyond a very strange sort of take on a character and then with a filmmaker like Christopher Nolan like editing it into the movie and making it fit into the movie. I feel like I, th- I feel like there was a filmmaker trick there somehow. Where I think Chris Nolan does have filmmaker tricks, and it's just the ones that, that he shows like right in your face that get so annoying. See, I feel like I feel like The Dark Knight is more an aberration of like what Christopher Nolan can do, whereas like a more realistic uh, representation of what what Christopher Nolan does is The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. the The fact that it's convoluted, it's got too many big ideas. It tries to shoehorn in too many characters, like. If you if you did a cut of The Dark Knight Rises and you completely cut out Joseph Joseph Gordon Levitt's character and Talia Al Ghul, you just get her reference later on mm-hmm. as the financier behind the the destruction of Gotham. I think you have a much much better film and it's more streamlined. It's easier for the audience to um, to basically consume. Yeah, and I think that ends up being a better movie. And but I, I as you about that, what about Inception? Did you care for that one? I turned on that one. I started off liking it, and now I fucking hate it. Yeah, I think I think Inception is another movie that tries to outsmart its audiences. Yeah. And the other thing is too is like I watched Westworld until like the end of season two, and I gave up on it. And and it's not Christopher Nolan. But he was involved with it, and his brother was one of the writers and creators for it. Well, good for you! <laughs> and it's just, it's one of those things where it's its so many big ideas that don't pay off. And I'm like, why are you wasting my time with these big ideas if they're not going anywhere? What about Hot Takes prediction on Terminator? We haven't seen it yet. They've made so many bad Terminators. Uh, They've made so many. I don't expect it to be good. That's the easy bet to make. The easy <laughs> bet to make is to say it's not going to be good. And then if it comes out and it's like, oh, actually, this is good. The thing is, is like Terminator 2 was so fucking good. It's one of the best movies that's been created in my lifetime. Agreed. Um, that you're not going to top it. So you might as well just stop trying. And the, the thing that they've done with the Alien movies, with RoboCop movies, uh, they, they just try to keep, like, squeezing some kind of sequel out when only the very first one was ever good. Only the first Alien movie was good. Well, and they tried that with Ghostbusters, and how did that turn out? Yeah, only the first Ghostbusters was good. And, like, look, like, if you've been following this podcast, like, yes, I heavily defended Ghostbusters 2016, but that was, like, more of an ideological battle. And, like, honestly, like, that movie was not that good. Well, I don't remember you defending that. You did? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I, I defended the idea that there could be female Ghostbusters. Well, it could have been good. It could have, yeah, it could have been good. But it wasn't. 
I mean, just like Jurassic World could have been good, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom could have been good, but they weren't. They were fucking massive turds. And that's sequelitis. You know, that's what's the magic of when you see a sequel <laughs> that is good, it's like, wow, you know, you guys caught sequelitis and you lived through it. You're like, you hey, know? hey, you remember this movie? You remember how much you liked this movie? What if we did this movie again, yeah. but with different actors and a different filmmaker and more, spe- more special effects, uh, more CGI? What if we did that, and then we charged you more to come and watch this movie? You would like it that much more, Well, that's right? what we're dealing with right now with Joker. Joker just caught sequel No, 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 Joker no, 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 just no. caught sequel No, no. Joker is an original take. They've Joker is an original. Like, look, look. Sequelitis would have been for them to make a Jared no, Leto Joker movie. The next one is going to... The, the franchise has caught sequelitis. <laughs> this movie's not a sequel, but the franchise has sequelitis now. It didn't have it before. But I like the fact that they did this. And, like, they that was... Okay, so, so going back, I, I, I don't want to make it seem like uh, our leaders and our overlords are Red Letter Media, but one of the things they talked about is... Uh, they introduced this idea of like, well, what if like this was how Warner Brothers approached how they did their movies, their universe, uh, the DC universe. And then they were just like, later on, they were like, no, that wouldn't really work because it only works for this film. Like the second you put a Batman or a Superman into a film like this, it becomes patently ridiculous and it becomes completely unbelievable and you can't watch it. Like you have to have a certain film, the Zack and that's Snyder what Batman, Marvel. Yes. That's what Marvel does so well is Marvel presents a universe in which you believe that yes, uh, Doctor Strange and Iron Man and Spider Man and Captain America and fucking Star Lord can all coexist again together, yeah. fighting against Thanos. Yeah. Like, like you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense. I get this. Right, we, and we DC gotta, does not have that. Off this thing. It's gone on for way too long. Okay, so uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy this. If this is the first time you're listening to this, uh, please follow us. We have a, a Twitter handle at uh, Sequelitis. Uh, we have Instagram as well, Sequelitis Pod, yeah. and then uh, our Gmail. Hit us up anytime. Sequelitis Podcast at Gmail uh, Especially if you have any ideas for like something you like us to talk about. Or if you just want to tell us that you love us or you're coming to us to kill us uh, ritualistically, we would like to know that in advance. We would like to know that we should probably hide Mm -hmm. or call the police or, I don't know, get a gun from our coworker to protect ourselves. And this has been Matt, and now you guys have sequelitis. Thank you. This is Manny. I love you. Good night.